Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the replay series. I'm your host, Tracy Chernoff, and I'm thrilled to have you join us once again as we journey through the episodes that have topped charts around the world. In this podcast series, we're revisiting some of our most insightful, thought-provoking, and transformative conversations with industry experts, thought leaders, and practitioners. These episodes have made waves, sparking meaningful conversation and inspiring positive change throughout human resources. Whether you're a dedicated listener who's been with us from the start or you're just tuning in for the first time, the Replay series offers a chance to dive deep into the core principles that guide our exploration into HR practices. So get ready to rediscover the discussions that continue to shape the future of HR. Without further ado, let's step back in time and immerse ourselves into the podcast's top charted episodes. Let the replay begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. I hope that you have already done this, but don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Today's guest is Megan Hunter. Uh, She is the co-founder and CEO of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. She also has her MBA. She is an expert in high conflict personalities and helping people influence high conflict situations by adapting their approach. She's written several books on high conflict interactions and disputes and has provided training across the U.S. and seven countries. So obviously, for those of us in HR, we experience conflict a lot, and we experience potentially a lot of high-conflict personalities. And I know you're probably thinking, well, how do I know what a high-conflict personality is? Don't worry. We are going to get into that. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Make sure that at the end, you share your thoughts, you review, you subscribe, whatever you have to do to continue to support this podcast and come back next week do it. Thank you so much for being here and we'll get right into it now. Welcome Megan to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here and uh, for sharing with us some insights that I think we all could benefit from. Well, it's my absolute pleasure, Tracy, and I'm so happy to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. It's, It's always nice to to bring some interesting guests on the podcast and hopefully, you know, have the audience learn, but also I always end up learning from every guest that I've had on. So it's, you know, also a selfish thing that I get to learn about high conflict personalities today, which is not something that I've actually ever learned about, I don't think. So. Yeah, well, interestingly, too, I learn a lot from, uh, you know, when I'm on a podcast, I learn from others. And anywhere we go, like right, we love to learn from everyone else and absorb all of that because it just helps inform us. So I'm sure yeah. I will learn a lot from you today as well. Oh, well, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think the perfect place to start this discussion is to actually ask you to clarify for us what it means to have a high conflict personality or even like what you do in your role and how you've been able to define high conflict and high conflict personalities. Yeah, that's a great start, actually, because it is kind of confusing for people because the term high conflict just has a negative connotation right off the bat, right? And high conflict personality uh, sounds uh, not so great. And, you know, it's mostly right. But um, it's, you know, kind of what it's not. We can start there. It's not just a loud argument or being overly emotional or anger, angry, um, because we all can feel that way. We all have emotions and a, a wide range of emotions. But what the true definition of high conflict is, is probably best told if I give you a, a little background of how I got here. Um, 
and that is, I was the family law specialist at the Arizona Supreme Court way back in the day, and I just kind of fell in love with the, you know, kind of the blend of law and psychology, because that's what family law is. That's, you know, people going through divorces and child custody disputes, uh, you know, that the, it's, it's law and psychology. So... It, it doesn't take you long in the family law arena to recognize that there's this thing called high conflict uh, divorce, and it's what everyone in the divorce field sort of dreads because these cases are back in court a lot, the parents fight a lot over just about everything, and it seems that nothing resolves their issues. Where most people, you know, let's say 80%, can handle their divorce or, you know, through mediation or some other out-of-court process. But this, these high-conflict cases are just using up the resources and they're in court a lot. So I got very interested in it. And I, what, you know, kind of fascinated and stumped me is why were thousands of people, really, really smart people around the world, working in this field, but no one could really figure out how to deal with these high conflict cases successfully. So I kind of made it my mission to um, find someone, and I, I eventually did. And it was a guy named Bill Eddy, who was a licensed clinical social worker who later became a family law attorney and applied his work uh, from psychiatric hospitals to family law when he started to see the same behavior wow. showing up. Wow. Um, and he's, he's a, just a really smart guy, and he put the puzzle pieces together to form what he calls a high-conflict personality. And so the true definition of it is, you know, it's not a diagnosis. It's not in the DSM-5. Uh, it's, but it is a description of a pattern of behavior. So someone with a high-conflict personality repeats four main things. Number one, unmanaged emotions. Two, extreme behaviors. Three, all-or-nothing thinking. And four, they focus on a target of blame. So they're just sort of blaming someone all the time. And when it gets right down to it, it's most of us, you know, when, when life is going along, we're navigating through life, you know, there are troubles and struggles, but we can be flexible and, you know, manage our emotions and, and all of those um, great things. But someone with a high conflict personality, when they run into those things, they really struggle because of these four characteristics. Interesting. Well, I'm sure that everyone listening to this has already stopped listening for a portion of that because they're analyzing whether or not they are a high conflict <laughs> personality. Because even I, for a moment there, and I always have to remind myself because I constantly let my mind run, uh, I had to remind myself, wait, don't start thinking about yourself. We got to listen to the whole, you know, the whole explanation. But I'm sure that the listeners are already starting to think like, oh gosh, am I that person? So if someone did have that revelation from what you've just described and and defined for us, how, how do they navigate that? Am I jumping too far ahead to even ask like, how does a high conflict personality one realize that they are that way or have those four descriptions um, and characteristics? Or is there more to the puzzle there that we have to figure out first? Well, I love that you're asking this because it, it's 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 really wonderful when someone comes. And almost everyone we speak to, whether it's a training or a consultation, they'll they'll come to us like at the first break in the training and say, "Oh, I'm I'm really embarrassed, but I do have to ask you this. You know, I do some of those things that you're talking about, and 
does that mean I'm high conflict? So here's the thing, Tracy. <laughs> if you're having these thoughts, that means you're having insight. People with high conflict personalities do not have insight into their flaws or into their personality quirks, right? Uh, that they have these these issues. So, yeah, I mean, we all have a little junk in our trunk, as I like to say. <laughs> you know, um, I came I I came into this with some all or nothing thinking, and didn't realize it until I studied it more and more and realized, oh, I do that, I do that. So we can clean up and tweak certain areas, but if if you're thinking, oh, I do that, you're, you're having some insight. So officially, I can say you're not high conflict. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. I'm going to make sure to add that to my resume, not a high conflict personality. No, there you go. Yeah, and right. It's, it's interesting because I've done, you know, many consultations and, um, you know, trainings, uh, leadership retreats, all kinds of uh, events like that, where the actual, an actual high conflict person is, you know, seated across the table from me, looking mm. right into my eyes as I'm training about this, which is super uncomfortable for me. But they, you know, I just have to keep reminding myself, they don't realize that they are high conflict. They think everyone else in the room is or someone else in the room is. This is a great segue to my my next uh, question, which I'm going to preface first and, and add some flavor to, I guess. But this this idea around like, the high conflict person or personality um, thinking that they are not part of the problem or that everyone else is the problem. We see that a lot, of course, in just in being HR leaders and having exposure to a lot of people potentially. And a lot of the listeners, I know I shared this with you, a lot of the listeners are in their HR careers and some are breaking into their HR careers. So for some, this is something that they're expecting, they're anticipating having um, interactions with individuals who may become um, agitated when they're told, you know, one thing versus another or who are not as agreeable, for example, as others. And it's not to say that that's a bad thing, but I remember from our first discussion that I had shared that in my experience with people in my HR career, there are there are those interactions with people who I now understand potentially as having high conflict personalities where it's so almost impossible to get through to that person and there's always this drama surrounding whatever it is that they are they have concerns over for example super broad strokes here um, in terms of context but how do HR leaders have to change their approach when they're interacting with or dealing with someone who does have this all or nothing, um, almost like approach to the challenges day to day in the workplace? Well, it's, it can be tricky, but you really have to, to get an understanding of the way, you know, this person's brain is working. Um, but if you don't have the opportunity to do that, I guess the, the, the best way to approach every interaction is uh, with, you know, kind of a um, some skepticism about the accuracy of someone's stories, their version of events, mm -hmm. um, because what what is really true about the high conflict personality is that everything to them feels very normal, natural, and necessary, meaning I look at it as they have a different operating system and we expect mm -hmm. everyone to sort of have similar operating systems and then we use this, you know, 
pretty much the same approach with everyone, a, a little bit on a range. But with, with the high conflict personality, it's in opposites world. So they feel very, it feels very natural for them to come in and tell you this very intense story of how they've been wounded or victimized or something like that. And because of this wonderful thing called emotional persuasion <laughs> and thing, you know, it's going on between our brains, you can get emotionally hooked and believe the victim story. Now it may be true and it may be partially true, but it may not be true at all. So you really have to um, investigate and have an understanding that with the high conflict personality, there's just, there's a fear driving that operating system. And it's a fear of being either being dominated, in, uh, feeling inferior, feeling ignored, feeling betrayed, or feeling abandoned. And so once you have that understanding, you, it takes some, you know, some sophistication a, a bit. Um, you, you, it really makes everything they're going to do predictable, which makes everything you're going to do predictable. Interesting. I, I'm curious, when when an HR leader is dealing with something that's, you know, coming up with, you know, with someone that may, might have this um, high conflict personality, and of course, you, you mentioned that this is not, not a diagnosis, so I definitely caution um, anyone listening from, you know, applying a label to individuals as being high conflict versus not high conflict, because then we're just you know, pigeonholing people that might just have other challenges going on and, and feel free to disagree or agree with that statement. But when someone, you know, let's say someone is falling into these characteristics and there is that challenge with the HR leader or the, the manager in general where they're really trying to make sense of what's happened, they've investigated and there is, you know, a discrepancy, right? Is there is there a reason not to say to this high conflict personality that there's a discrepancy in their story? Is there specifically an approach there that is different than maybe what our intuition tells us to do, which is to be honest and direct and to tell them that there's a, you know, maybe a misunderstanding? Um, you spot on. <laughs> Great question. So the, you have to approach, you can do the same thing with, someone with a high conflict personality as you do with everyone else, but you have to preface it first with um, getting them calm. And we get people calm by giving them empathy, attention, and respect, mm -hmm. which is the acronym is EAR. <laughs> so you just preface everything with an EAR statement. Oh, that sounds really frustrating. Oh, that, that must have been challenging. You know, just anything like that. Yeah. That calms the reactive brain because they're, they really get stuck in this these right brain emotions, which are, you know, sort of fight or flight, survival, this is very primal. And they need, you know, as I said, this is very normal and natural and necessary to them. And so we are the ones that have to adapt because they can't. They don't know that this is not normal, that this mm. is not, you know, outside the norm of, of what other people are doing. So uh, therefore, the, the HR, you know, person has to uh, give a little empathy at first, give a little attention or a little respect. And you can use those ac actual words or use some other words. That, so I call it the calm before think method. And I use a capital B and the number four, <laughs> calm before think. And the reason I, I make a point of it is it is not natural. We typically, particularly in the workplace, any 
wherever you work, whatever role you're in, you're there to problem solve. So we're in problem solving mode all the time. And it's right. really natural for us because we have our own defaults to just go straight into problem solving. And what you have to do differently with these folks is give them uh, some, get them calm first before you get them thinking. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. You know, I'm, I'm taking us taking a second to reflect there because when I think about my uh, years in really very traditional HR roles and especially dealing with employee relations, which, you know, if, if for anyone listening who doesn't necessarily have that, like we call it ER experience, employee relations experience, there are a lot of horror stories about dealing with ER issues, whether it's harassment and intimidation or um, even, you know, different things just regarding like employee complaints, right? Like it, it really is full scope and full spectrum when it comes to the, those ER specific roles, which is really where I spent the majority of my career in those types of problem solving positions, specifically facing people and the, the majority of the workforce. Um, but I think about those experiences where I have dealt with probably people who potentially fall into this high conflict category. I can think of a few experiences that just, you know, no matter, no matter what you say, what you do, if they're not calm to this point, there's really, it's, it can be derailed very quickly. But one of the things that I was reflecting on as you were sharing that before is that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of discussion nowadays around what HR can and cannot be expected to take on. And I think there's a really fine line for HR leaders, especially in these people facing roles that are, you know, maybe have a percentage of ER in their job responsibilities. There's a fine line between being empathetic and, you know, also being able to uh, rectify some of those challenges and, and not being overly empathetic. And then again, on the other side of that fine line, being too empathetic, where then it's everyone comes to HR just to complain and there's no focus on solutions. So, you know, when, it, when you hear that, as far as like making sure that HR is not just like the complaint department and also does provide this um, solutions-based approach, when, when it comes down to the calm before think method, how do you encourage HR leaders to develop that skill set? Because I think, you know, it's already built in that we're supposed to be like approachable, empathetic to a certain degree, able to solve problems, all those things. But if they haven't had the opportunity to develop that skill set, how do they how do they do that to be calm, to focus on the calm, but also not be the people that are just always complained to without this focus on solving the problem, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's a great question because we do get asked a lot, like, do we have to listen forever? Do we have to give ear <laughs> statements forever? And no, you don't. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, this high conflict personality, and, and I, I, I just want to say here, I agree with you. We don't want to label people. We don't want to you know, right. pigeonhole them. It, these are folks that probably have trauma in their background. It's unaddressed, unresolved, and they respond really well to empathy, attention, and respect. But that doesn't mean um, that you listen forever. High conflict personalities, the, that brain doesn't stop itself. So it needs someone else to stop it for them, to stop their behaviors, um, and to give them structure. 
So if I were in an HR role, I would try to make the, you know, complaint process or, you know, any um, conversation process very structured. Um, it's a good idea to have very strong policies about what your complaint process is, mm. how it works, and length of time. Uh, you know, I prefer, and I, I'm not an HR uh, specialist, so I don't know, and I don't know all the laws uh, surrounding um, the whole industry, but I really like having a one sheet. You get one sheet to write out your complaint. I prefer a written complaint um, instead of oral because writing causes people to think. It gets them mm. in the problem-solving part of their brain, and that's where calm, that they will feel calmer, and they're not then stuck in the you know blaming uh, part of their brain, the all-or-nothing, unmanaged emotions, and extreme behaviors. Now, they'll still come out, right? But when they're mm. writing, it slows them down a bit, and, and it structures them a bit. So, um, and then you can use ear when you do meet with them. And ear doesn't mean, <clears throat> excuse me, that you just keep uh, repeating yourself over and over, you know, but three little words can be the game changer. If such as, tell me more, or yeah, that does sound hard. That calms them. And then you can follow it up with a question like, um, uh, what options have you thought of? Have you tried some doing some different things? So, so the the calm gets them, you know, the ear gets them calm. Then you follow it up with a question, and that sh kind of shoves them into the problem so solving part of the brain. And you want a lot of flow between those two hemispheres, and you're the one that's responsible for the flow. And that's what an ear statement does. It opens up that bridge between the hemispheres, um, and they. Uh, but but then you kind of have to keep them there with asking questions and then if they get riled up again right then you just give a little more ear and follow it up with a question so you are guiding them down this path that they're not used to being guided down they're feeling calm when they talk to you because you're you are in the lead they don't know it but you're structuring this in a way that works for the rules of their operating system and as they feel calm with you they, their safety increases, their feeling of safety increases. And mm. when your safety increases, your trust increases. When your trust increases, your complaints decrease. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Uh, one of the things I guess I want to ask in response to that is, well, what happens if someone is totally inconsolable and doesn't get become calm? You try all of these things, you're leveraging you know these skill sets and and approaches and the person doesn't get become calm at any point how do you navigate that oh that's that's that can be a little bit tricky but usually yeah. you know an ear statement will and it depends on the person um if you have someone that's very much on the i need to feel superior track <laughs> um you know and you keep giving them ear statements they might just get frustrated but this yeah. is all grounded in science and it's the science that works for this type of you know um, issue so if someone's really inconsolable you you can say look why don't we just take a break and talk about this you know another time so if they're breaking down crying you know hand them a tissue that's a show of ear empathy mm. attention that's right that's showing them attention um, and then, you know, you can structure that. And structuring things 
is a gift for them, right? So you say, you know, I, yeah, this is, I, I'm sure this is really hard. And I, you know, here, here's, here's a tissue box. And how about we just reschedule this for tomorrow at two? And they will like that because, you know, you've given them the attention that <clears throat> they need and you've rescheduled something that shows them you're not dropping this, that, is, that it is important to you. Interesting. Thank you for answering all of those questions. One, one thing that uh, stuck with me is this point on uh, the potential that there's a link between high conflict personalities and a trauma response or a background of having trauma in, in their you know, life experience. So to shift gears a little bit, is there, and again, we're, we are not diagnosing anyone here and we're certainly not labeling anyone, but from your, what you've seen in your experience, is there a connection um, or is there, are there any stat, uh, statistics that you can share where high conflict personalities and mental illness are linked? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little uh, tricky, I guess, but, you know, we, <laughs> and I know HR folks don't really like to hear, hear about personality disorders, and I'm not here to preach personality disorders, but our work is based in these disorders, and, and in, in particular, five of them. And, you know, you can, there's a lot, a lot of research and information uh, available about the impact of trauma in the development of the personality, right? Some, sometimes, it doesn't mean everyone that's had trauma is going to develop a personality disorder, and most people right. who have one don't even know they have one. So that's why I, I prefer to just see it as someone with a different operating system. And I am going to learn the tools that work with that operating system so that I can help them, right? Now, they may not be able to stay in the workplace because they're too chaotic, disruptive, and, you know, yeah. you lose competitive advantage. They, you, you have attrition of other employees because they're too, it's too toxic. But really, this, this, most of it does come from, from trauma. Um, and, you know, I've worked with a lot of, of people in companies of all sizes and profit, nonprofit, government, across the board. It doesn't matter where people are. What matters is, you know, where they've come from. And some are able through coaching to, you know, kind of tweak some of those issues. And, you know, they might open up their trauma background a little bit and do a, mm. a tiny bit of trauma work on their own and, um, and learn some skills. And we, we actually have a uh, it's called New Ways for Work coaching um, method that uh, really helps them learn these skills, how to manage their emotions, have moderate behaviors, flexible thinking, and taking responsibility. It's a no shame, no blame approach. <laughs> it's really, really nice. And um, it just really, a lot of people can have success from that. Um, where others might still really struggle and they might need very intensive trauma treatment outside of, of the workplace. I've seen some be able to stick with the job and kind of come on board, you know, and uh, th these are the folks that are, you know, wearing out the carpet <laughs> to, the, yeah. to the HR office because everything that goes wrong, they need to tell someone. They want to come to authority and complain, make a complaint. Yeah. Um, it just feels very necessary to them to do that. So, if you can get them turned around through some coaching, um, then great. If not, it's they're probably just going to keep doing that. 
Yeah. You know, I, I have definitely, in my experience, I've seen and we've successfully successfully have been able to turn around some of those, um, you know, predictable behaviors, I guess we can say. Um, I, I have to say, like, to be really candid, and I'm sure that there will be listeners who agree and disagree on this, it is definitely really a lot of work and, and quite exhausting to manage through um, unmanaged emotions. Oh. And, you know, and I think that is that it, whether the person has a high conflict personality or not, anyone with unmanaged emotions is exhaustive. And, you know, in a business setting um, that it, to your point, it can create a lot of chaos. It can create a toxic work environment. And then you have the HR leader who is demonstrating compassion and empathy for this person as they should. And hopefully their leader as well. Um, also now having to engage in this conversation potentially around performance management. So, I mean, this might not be exactly the, the experience for every single person, but you know, when, when someone does have unmanaged emotions and is very all or nothing, for example, that usually to your point again, creates this environment of the, for the potential of catastrophe <laughs> and mm -hmm. and uh challenge and you know everything feels heavy like I can think of, I can think about like specific people that I've interacted with who um haven't been able to turn this around and we've had to like in my past um manage out for for just their performance and potentially even standing in the way of their performance because of all of these things being you know unable to be changed so how how does a person, whether they're in HR or, you know, whether they're the manager in this situation, how do you balance being empathetic, having the ear approach, the calm before the think, and also recognizing when you've done what you can do, and now this is a performance issue rather than something that we can hopefully turn around? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, some people think that you should not have any anyone with these behaviors in the workplace yeah. because they are so disruptive. And I, I've seen it go many different directions. <laughs> and it, a, a lot of it depends on uh, the, per, the, the performer, right? Uh, we'll have organizations call and say, look, I have a, this really high performer, but they just you know, are so destructive to everyone around them. Yeah. Um, you know, might be a you know the best salesperson or whatever the the oh position, yeah right All, yes yes critical positions and they don't want to invest in new training I mean you got your listeners know all of this yeah. so um you know I there are some that say just if they can't improve in 60 days they need to be out and you know I agree with with that but I also realize the reality of life and the reality right. is that we you know sometimes we do want to keep people in these positions um, and and separate out job performance from the the people skills right and try to get them skilled up and you know there there is research showing that coaching I'm sure you 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 all know this more than I do uh, that that coaching um, performance coaching in the workplace is can be very very effective mm -hmm. um, now these are the trickiest <laughs> these are the trickiest to deal with um, but we've seen it work. Um, and you know, there are some people that really should go. If you have someone that really seeks to dominate when things don't go their way, they want to destroy. You don't yeah. want those people in your company, right? No. 
Um, <laughs> if you can get someone who's in your office crying a lot and just is upset a lot of the time, you get them, if you have an EAP program or, you know, you can right. outsource some coaching or something, um, that's what we, why we've developed this new ways for work program, uh, you know, method is to help coach them to learn these skills so that the HR manager or their manager, supervisor, isn't constantly, you know, feeling overwhelmed or just dreading seeing these seeing them and that that's one of the, by the way one of the words we hear yeah. the most is dread dread yeah yeah, yeah. i dread this person because i um am exhausted by the chaos those yeah. three words we hear yeah. all the time so that's what we really try to do is bring to you know skill up the hr folks and any managers and supervisors uh to use simple skills so one of them is connecting and that's what you do with the calm before think um, setting limits is hugely important, and that's what I'm talking about with structure. And you have to set a lot of limits. Those mm. are a gift <laughs> for them because yeah. they don't set them themselves. They can't stop themselves because of this, you know, amygdala that's so yeah. powerful in the brain. And then, um, you know, really learning to when we uh, communicate in writing with them. Uh, you know, I'm sure your listeners are very familiar with all those emails. Um, and you can always tell when you get one that when you get that zinger or that knot in your gut, and go, ah, you yeah. don't even want to open it or uh, whatever. But then you look yeah. in there and you see those four things, blame, some kind of accusation, unmanaged emotions, threats, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. extreme behaviors, all of that. And um, so we've created a, a method of responding to them called BIF, uh, Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm. And mm. it's... It's, it's our top technique. Everybody loves BIF because it gives you structure uh, in your writing back to them. Because honestly, I've seen organizations where one little email, three sentences, right? And it's sort of high conflict. They're definitely high conflict. And the manager responds to it without BIF, without BIF and um, it causes about 12 hours of meetings. Mm -hmm. absolutely time-wasting yes. meetings. It's yes. just insane when a BIF response would have handled it. Right. I feel really validated right now because the last experience that I can think of where I had dealt with someone who kind of fits these characteristics, I and actually in general I always took this approach, uh, which w was really now I understand the BIF method, and I feel very validated knowing that that is why they were, it was so successful to send emails that were brief, informative, friendly, and firm, right? Oh, look Is at that you. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I love it. I think, actually, it's funny because now that I have a name for it, I know, I, you know, I'll call it Biff from now on. Um, but <laughs> back in the day, I would just say, you know, less is more. Yep. And it's just, it, you all, it reminds me when you don't do that, when you send this long-winded email explaining everything and you've wasted now 30 minutes of your time and you're going through everything, it's literally being like a hamster on a wheel and you just can't get off of it. And it's so chaotic because then they respond and it's all of these other things. And then you respond again, it's all the, and it's just too much. Um, but when you just follow the Biff method, it actually, yeah, in most cases really neutralizes the whatever it is that's causing that that feeling and those emotions mm, it really does and it's you know the brief part like you said is to help contain them if you give a bunch of here's what happens okay so they get upset they go to the keyboard 
you got to vomit through the keyboard, right? Keyboard <laughs> warriors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got to come out right now. This is the nece- it feels natural and necessary. When they get upset, they don't manage it like everyone else. So they go to the keyboard, da, 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 it, the blame, the all or nothing, unmanaged emotions, the extreme behaviors come out through in, in that keyboard. Now, once they hit send, they feel better. Their anxiety comes down, ah. right? Because they're trapped yeah. in right brain. That's where all the ooh is. And they just put all that ooh out through the keyboard. Now it's landed in your, on your yeah. screen. Now and we've you caught that. Uh. Exactly. And now this is what I see people doing. And, you know, I think HR folks are probably much more sophisticated than, than many others because you probably see this yeah. a lot more than others yeah. and, and develop these skills. But what I've seen many do is you know, like lie awake in bed at night, perseverating over how to respond to one of these emails. And there's really no need to do that. So because they're thinking, well, how do I respond to this accusation? How do Mm -hmm. I respond to this personal attack? Because HC, high conflict stuff is personal. And they make personal attacks. So Mm -hmm. instead, what you have to remember is they've probably forgotten all of that after they hit send. Now, the issue might there might be a nugget of an issue in there but mostly not mostly they just need to you know get all of that out of their right brain so you have to avoid taking it personally and yeah. you just don't so and that's why biff really works is you keep it brief because if you respond to every accusation in there and uh, try to give advice or admonish them or anything that's just going to get more emails back so just avoid all that keep totally. it informative stuck on you know just stick to straight information don't defend yourself da 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 um and keep it friendly just a friendly tone that just keeps the right brain happy mm-hmm. and then keep it firm and firm gives it structure right that they are yeah. lacking now one little bonus tip <laughs> is part of the firm part uh or section is that y- you know you close it firmly and friendly with something like well you know have a great weekend and that mm. that's it right but if you need a response back from them End it with a question and two, at least two options, because this will force them to focus on a choice. Focusing on a choice means left brain problem solving activity. And Hmm. the more time they spend in, you know, in their left logic brain, the less time they're spending in the right reactive brain. Interesting. Right. And so they'll come back with Monday. You know, if you say, let me know if you'd like to meet on Monday or Tuesday. And they come back with Tuesday. And, inst- you know, instead of getting yeah. a 42-paragraph email. Oh, I love that. I love that. Actually, something that I think is probably worth mentioning, too, is that when we are dealing with uh, potentially with people who, you know, have these characteristics of being high-conflict personalities, they also potentially tend to be the ones that uh, pursue litigation, because of this, you know, if, if there is, uh, and again, correct me if I'm wrong and if I'm totally speaking out of turn here, but I would imagine that, and I can think of my own personal experience with this, for those who really are, believe fully that they are in the right, that everything else, as someone is to blame for everything going wrong or not going their way, and then they're not happy or they're managed out or whatever, you know, the end result is, that they often are the ones to pursue some sort of litigation against their employer. And there are circumstances, of course, where that is totally um, 
a worthwhile pursuit because maybe the employer did something wrong. But in a lot of cases, there's litigation that comes from employees who are just disgruntled or in this case, potentially believe that they are fully in the right and that everybody else is wrong. And so using the BIF method can actually mitigate quite a bit of risk because, you know, if you're keeping things professional and brief, you're not like unintentionally putting your foot in the mouth in something that actually would be part of discovery if there was a, a, um, a pursual a pursuance for, um, you know, some sort of lawsuit to come out of whatever it is. I mean, I've seen so many things and mm-hmm. it almost, ne- it almost always goes nowhere, but, and, and sometimes it goes somewhere, but in most cases it doesn't. And it's usually surrounding these individuals, unfortunately, who are, can be inconsolable with certain things. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I agree 100%. This is risk and cost mitigation. Yeah. So if you go back to what I said about trust and safety, if you think about your own safety, when when you're, let's, let's think about your greatest fear. So take a second, think about, okay, I'm afraid of heights. I'm afraid of spiders. For me, it's driving on ice, icy roads, especially black ice, because I have zero control. It feels like Mm. I have zero control. And I had, you know, I grew up in Nebraska and the roads are really icy sometimes and I hated it. So it sticks with me. When I'm in that fear mode, I want to get back to my regular safety default mode when I, where, you know, so if I, that means I get behind the wheel of the car or I can better is even to get out of the car altogether so that I feel safe again. We all like to be in our default safe mode. So Mm -hmm. do these folks, their fear that they don't even know about, they can't even name or identify or realize they have this is something different and it happens when things don't go well for them or when their amygdala hears a tone of voice that it misidentifies as threatening or Mm. sees body language or something like that and so they are in that fear mode and if you can be that person that uses biff that person that uses ear that increases their safety gets them back to you know uh, their default safe space Mm. now if it's someone who kind of has these uh, superior inferiority tendencies the last thing you might feel like doing is saying, hey, I respect the work you do because it's the person that's saying, I need to be respected. I feel disrespected, you know, and you say, I can respect the work. I really respect the work you do. That just calms their brain. That's an ear statement, right? Mm -hmm. So using these, I mean, it sounds so ridiculously simple. Yeah. It is ridiculously simple, except it's hard to do. It's hard to remember to do. You have to be disciplined, number one. And number two, it's, you just have to remember um, and, and realize you're really helping them. What that will do if they're feeling safe, they're, they're going to feel less defensive and you're right. They do like to litigate. They'd like to, to file complaints against licenses. Um, They, they need, they, they go often go to law enforcement, to lawyers, to the courts, Mm-hmm. HR, anywhere they're seeking authority to agree with that they've been yeah. injured. Yeah. Right? Oof, so yeah. the more you use these tools, your risk goes down. Right. Oh, that's so fascinating. Honestly, I, I feel like we could talk about this probably all day. I have probably have a million more questions that I'm going <laughs> to think about after we hang up today. But my final question for you is what happens when someone is in a management role and has this high conflict personality? And let's say a listener is hearing this and is like, oh my gosh, that's my manager. How do they, one, how do they like manage up and 
and use these skills um, and tools to deal with that. And two, I mean, how, just how do how does that work? How does oh. someone in with this type of personality, which I'm sure that there are people with these, you know, with high conflict personalities in all spectrums and all areas of business and potentially even government too. So how do how do we how do we deal with and confront and manage up when our manager has a high conflict personality? That is such a great question because number one, like you said, you know, they're kind of all over the place. And I like to say it is the most equal opportunity <laughs> disorder yeah. or personality yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in the world because, you know, it's either, you know, from a trauma background or role modeling right. that we had growing up, anything like that. So it can be from any um, you know, socioeconomic strata from any cultural background. You know, we've we've traveled all over the world, and mm. the high conflict personality is the high conflict personality. Um, so now, um, number two, the number one search term on our website, even when we were just in family law, right, was managing my narcissistic boss. <sighs> Yeah, see, there you go. Mm -hmm. And it has been for 14 years, 14, wow. 15 years. So um, it is obviously a problem. And it, the background on why the boss might be in, in that role is because uh, that fear type fears feeling inferior. And there's another fear type that fears feeling dominated. So, of course, to, they're going to be climbing the ladder. And that doesn't have anything oh my to do gosh. with intelligence or skill. They've got those, and then they, you get this added, you know, fear that's going to drive them to the top they get wow. in these roles whether it's at work whether it's at church whether it's at a nonprofit in government wherever i mean <laughs> they just that's where they go so managing up is um i mean it can be a really terrible situation i've been in it myself where i had the knot in my stomach driving commuting yeah. to work every day did the happy dance when that boss resigned and moved on but I didn't know these skills at the time. And we just use the same skills, using ear with them, because they're going to respond as well. They're probably going to respond really well to respect. Um, and you just keep things light and neutral. Um, you ask them about you know, their weekend or something like that, and just make it about them. That's what really this has to be. The more you make it about them and the less about you, um, with, with without sacrificing right it's just they're just little right. little i shouldn't say love bombs but you know ear bombs <laughs> you give them and it and, and while keeping your own structure keeping documentation of things right um, totally which is a really good idea then yeah. you just you just spend that time connecting with that person instead of fighting against them and, and here's probably this just occurred to me this is probably the best way to describe it is you get this person on board with you against the problem instead of having mm. them against you you against them right so instead of yeah. me against you it's us against the problem the problem meaning whatever the work project is or the what i mean and problem right. sounds like a bad way to put it but the no that's whatever. really interesting that's so interesting i mean it's so funny because i've had uh, I've talked about on a couple episodes some experiences with bad leadership myself, which we all will always experience. If we haven't yet, or if you haven't yet, you will. And if you have already, you probably will again. Um, and it, I've always, you know, my friends and colleagues and I have always said, like, how do, 
how do these people get in these roles? How do they get, how do they become so successful? And when I say these people, I'm referring to these leaders who potentially fit this, um, this characteristic, you know, these four characteristics of having a high conflict personality. And I think of two leaders that I've had in my, my career that really, this just explains a lot of it, but we always talk about how did, how did they get into these roles and how did they become so, you know, successful on paper because they weren't successful in their roles, but they were successful in that they had climbed the ladders, uh, the, the career ladders that they were, you know, on and their trajectory that they had. And this makes a lot of sense to me, this, you know, this understanding the background behind not wanting to be dominated, um, not wanting to feel inferior or to be inferior. And I really like what you said about flipping the script and not making it about me versus you, but rather us versus the challenge or the opportunity or the problem. And actually, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of um, people listening will think, well, what about me? Why aren't they focused on me? What about my development? This, I can vividly remember one of the poor leaders that I'd had, and I spent more time managing that leader than I did being managed or coached myself or probably doing anything else. And it has been fundamentally the most rewarding experience of my career because it gave me a lot of tools to not only be able to, I don't want to say survive, but overcome that challenge because it was challenging, but also to be able to see how you can manage. Because if you can manage up successfully and do all those things that you're sharing, Megan, then, then actually you can probably, you'll have more growth from that than if this potentially high conflict personality is managing you in a way that you are probably not such a, an open recipient of. So I, I really like that. Yeah. And you have, you have to know yourself too. you know, are you a passive conflict avoider type person? Are you a, an aggressive person? I'm probably more of the aggressive where I'm me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, Oh yeah, man. My I, I, yeah. I'm not I'm, passive at all. <laughs> I'm going to, and it, and it doesn't mean we're going to sock someone, punch them, you know, but it's, it's, I'm going to explain, I'm going to keep explaining and, or, you know, arguing or something. And, Instead, you have to be, that's just going to escalate the conflict. Right. And if you're a passive person, if you, this, you know, high conflict people will walk all over you and it will embolden their aggression. Yeah. So if you really want to have an assertive approach and, and you know, just be, keep, and, and assertive means using those tools we've talked about. And those really do, like you said, mitigate risk. They save you a lot of time. It's very, very fascinating if you just, once you have an understanding of this high conflict area um, and you get a handle on it and, re- and remind yourself to use these skills, you might have to set something on your calendar <laughs> yeah, morning right. to remind yourself to get used to it um, because there's, you know, the brain and emotions involved, yeah. um, you know, it, 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 it's a game changer. And I, I, I don't want to overstate it, but I've seen it really work, really help. Um, and I think we have to recognize that, you know, in our experience doing this work for 15 plus years with High Conflict Institute and even 10, 15 years before that in other roles, um, you know, we knew 15 years ago that high conflict personalities would be increasing in society just mm. based on the way things were going and what television teaches and yeah. some parenting issues, all trauma, all of that. And, you know, here we are. 15 years later, and, and that's what we do see. We, we see an increase 
in high conflict people and they and I hurt people with high conflict personalities um, all all across the world in in almost every industry and it, particularly in the last two years we've mm -hmm. seen a huge huge influx and increase of reports from our clients and potential customers um, from all walks of life, particularly education, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and a lot in the workplace, um, especially yeah. returning to work and in the physical office totally. space and things. Um, but there, those who a lot of us have anxiety throughout the the shutdowns and the pandemic and things. But those with a high conflict personality, this is going to make it even um, more challenging. And so, you know, HR needs to be skilled up yeah. um, with these tools so you can really help in the best way and you know, use a lot of structure, but just open everything with ear and, oh, ear and then a little structure, ear and a little bad news, ear and a little, <laughs> just start it with ear. Start it with ear. I love that. Honestly, I, as predicted, I learned so much today and I'm sure that I'll continue to learn from you as I follow you on your journey and uh, in the High Conflict Institute and all the things that you do. And, and I don't know of a better place to stop and ask you to share where the audience can connect with you and learn more about this, because I'm sure there will be a ton and ton of questions. Well, we would love that. And I, I just love to talk to people, as you can tell. So <laughs> um, it's highconflictinstitute.com. And, um, you know, just go through our contact page or my email is Megan at highconflictinstitute.com. And I'm happy to, to talk anytime and um, I, just a couple of, of books that your listeners might be interested in. One is Biff at Work. Bill, Eddie, and I just uh, put that out last year. So oh, it's Biff specifically for the workplace. And then the, the New Ways for Work method I talked about, you can mm -hmm. um, find that on the website and training for that kind of thing. So we have anything you want to see is on there. Amazing. Oh, and yeah. I forgot, we just, are, we just launched this month the certification program, the high conflict certification, so that if you want to be, you know, have someone in your department that's skilled up, as the high conflict certified person, you know, that can handle that within your organization, then we just have that brand new. I love that. I love that. Well, I will be sure as always to link everything in the show notes so that the listeners can easily just click and, and go and connect with you. Um, and I'll definitely have to check out this, uh, these, both of these books, um, that you have, uh, it sounds like there's still a lot more learning that we can all do. And actually, we know for sure that leadership and managing and HR takes a lot of work and it's always changing. And the, the, the way that we skill up and the way that we respond to different personalities, whether they're high conflict or not, will always continue to evolve. And thankfully, there are people like you and Eddie who are, are taking on the brunt of the work and creating the skills and the understanding and the certification processes for us. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And I just want to say I have mad respect for anybody that does this work. You guys do really good work and hard work. So um, we'll help where we can. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast uh, family. And I will let you go. But thank you again. And uh, we'll see you next week, everyone that's listening. <laughs>